0: Your weekend begins in Crystal Palettes Wine Country with Sommelier, Crystal, Cameron, Shad. Every week, Crystal takes your palate on a journey from the vineyard to the glass and opens your mind to the endless choices that await your next sip. Uncork your passion starting now on your trip through wine country on Seville 1075 and 1260 WCHV.
1: And welcome to the show. I'm your host, Crystal Cameron Shad, and today we're going to explore the Shenandoah Valley. We often hear great accolades for wines being produced uh, throughout Virginia, particularly central and northern Virginia. But the Shenandoah Valley is also showing great promise for the fruit of the vine. In fact, the Shenandoah Valley AVA is home to more than two dozen wineries and vineyards. To tell us more about the viticulture in the valley is Lee Hartman. Lee is the general manager and head winemaker for Bluestone Vineyard in Bridgewater. Lee, thanks so much for making the drive this morning to come out and uh, spend some time with us.
0: Sure. Thanks for having me.
1: So when we hear about Virginia wine, um, obviously it's uh, seen dynamic growth in the past decade. We have, uh, we're pushing 300 vineyards statewide. And uh, the lion's share of attention is obviously the Monticello AVA in northern Virginia. But there is some really great promise happening in, in Shenandoah, and it's just right down the road pretty much. Right? Can you talk a little bit about uh, the differences? Let's start by discussing maybe some differences in terroir and maybe even climate uh, between the Shenandoah AVA and the Monticello AVA.
0: So uh, I think the biggest difference between uh, the Shenandoah Valley and other parts of Virginia uh, is the climate. We, we could talk about soil, too, uh, of uh, things like limestone versus granite mm-hmm. uh, in the soil. Uh, but I, I think that uh, the conversation about the Shenandoah Valley has to start with uh, the higher elevation. Uh, there's a little bit more wind. There's a little bit less humidity. We're typically five degrees cooler on a normal day uh, than Charlottesville is. So that means our, our buds break a little bit later, uh, which protects us for you know uh, a few days to a week or more uh, from frost. Uh, And then we also have cooler uh, nighttime temperatures during uh, harvest and uh, ripening seasons.
1: So more of a diurnal shift between day and nighttime temperatures than Mm -hmm. the central area. And what's interesting about the spring frost protection with your buds breaking a little later for the average consumer, um, you know, you may have heard about, I mean, if you're listening, you may have heard about the frost last year that really crippled a lot of vineyards, especially the white wine production. But because you're budding a little bit later, that gives you some protection.
0: It does. So I I remember it was the morning of the Virginia Wine Summit. And, you know, I I was there to to talk about our Chardonnay. And uh, there were growers and and winemakers from Charlottesville as well as northern Virginia there all over the state. And there were people, uh, Stephen from Keswick, uh, you know, he was out in the vineyard at four o'clock in the morning just watching it all disappear. And And he asked, you know, how cold did you guys get? And I said, well, about 25, but our buds aren't out. Wow. Uh, so yeah. so it, it does give you that sort of protection. Yeah,
1: that's a big difference. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking when you it's need Viticulture isn't easy no matter where you are, but mm-hmm. on the east coast of America you have so many issues with humidity, the tropical storm threats, late spring frosts, and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So um, talk a little bit about uh, the hills, too. You have a little bit higher elevation. Mm-hmm. I assume that helps with better drainage as well?
0: Uh, it does, both for water and air. Uh, so the bottom of our vineyard is at about 1,200 feet. Uh, we uh, – Two years ago, we started planting about a half mile up the road, and the uh, the top of that vineyard is 200 feet higher. So uh, a lot of the the cold air can drain off of our hills, uh, settle in the uh, lower spots that are great for growing corn nearby, but not so great for grapes. And same thing for water. We uh, you know the, on, off of our hill we have. Uh, a river about a half mile away, uh, that's where all the water wants to go. So uh, whether it's uh, just because of the steepness of the hill or all the the limestone in the soil, uh, really great drainage around our place.
1: And most varietals don't like wet feet, right? No, they don't. yes, that's that's a big thing um, in in the wine industry as you see uh, a lot of the um, some of the best wines in the world are produced on a slope, uh, absolutely. because of the drainage and temperature fluctuations, too, which help. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the name Blue Stone. What's the significance of that name, and where does that come from?
0: So there, there's a lot of significance behind it for us. Uh, if especially if you come in the wintertime. you can't uh, you can't see all of, all of our posts uh, and have one of them go in the same direction. Like they all go a little crooked because you can't dig a hole without running into some uh, piece of limestone. So for us, it's all about you know who we are and where we are and what's in our soil. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other really cool uh connections to Bluestone. There's Bluestone Drive, there's Bluestone Pediatrics, there's all these Bluestone uh centric things in Rockingham County. Uh it's the name of JMU's yearbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and both my parents went there. But but yeah, for us it's all about the soil.
1: It's all about the soil, which is all about the terroir. And you got that's it. something that you're really focused on is mm-hmm. terroir driven wines at your at at Bluestone. Uh can you talk a little bit about what um you know what the terroir does, what the uh, with with that kind of stone, you obviously have a very mineral driven, I would assume, wine and some of your selections. Can you talk a little bit about why that matters?
0: Sure. So one of the one of the nice things about having uh, well drained soils uh, and cooler climates, we're able to keep a lot of acidity, a lot of good structure in our wine, uh, and you know during ripening season, it doesn't bake all the acid uh, through the night uh, out of your grapes. Uh, so that combined with well-drained soil helps keep things nice and bright, but still concentrated.
1: I think, for um, if we can kind of even just delve a little bit deeper on the word acidity, we talk about acidity so much mm-hmm. on this program with winemakers. For the average person, why does that matter? Why does good structure, good acidity in the wine matter?
0: So, if uh, if you've ever heard Dr. Bruce Zachlin talk, who is uh, the wine guy at Virginia Tech, and and has is. Partly responsible for for not only how how much wine is coming out of Virginia, but for the quality of it as well. Uh, He talks about this seesaw of wine balance. And on one side of the seesaw, you've got kind of your richness, your sweetness, uh, how fat your wine tastes. And then on the other side, you've got uh, acidity plus uh, tannins and structure. Of the wine, and so if you have, you're trying to make a big fat wine, whether it's a, a Bordeaux red or a Chardonnay or a Viognier. If if you don't have that acid in place, it's going to taste flat and flabby, and uh, it will be terrible with food. You need something that's going to hold hold up that that richness. And so for us uh, in the Shenandoah Valley in particular, uh, acid is a really important part of what we do and who we are.
1: Yeah, acidity is very important, and I kind of liken it to, you know, when, when you think about if you're making fish, you're squeezing that little lemon juice on it to give it that pop of flavor. Mm-hmm. So from the uh, from the, the wine perspective, that acidity actually, uh, it brings out the fruit in the wine, I think, too. You get it. The flavor. Yeah. So it's a great way, I think, to, you know, give that analogy for uh, people that may not understand all of the technicalities with wine making, if you will. So talking about your family, I believe it was your parents who started the vineyard uh, about 10 years ago now. I
0: blame them entirely.
1: You blame them Yeah. (laughs) Mom and dad, you're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it, um, you know, why did they pick, you know, why did they want to get in the business first off? And second of all, what was it about... Rockingham County, Bridgewater, that said this is the place?
0: So when I was about 10 years old, we, we built the house that that, uh, that my parents live in today. And we we moved out there. Uh, we lived in a really nice neighborhood. We had, you know, a half acre of land and so did all of our neighbors. And it was a cool spot to be, but we wanted a little bit more elbow room. And so my parents bought this uh, plot of land uh, south of Bridgewater, which is about 15 minutes south of of Harrisonburg. And, uh, you know, being the youngest of three sons, we just needed some space to, uh, you know, be teenagers and boys and camping (laughs) and uh, shooting clay pigeons and and all that stuff. And uh, so we had this land and somebody else in uh, my parents Sunday school class uh, had his own backyard. Uh, vineyard, but he he had a vineyard on one of those half acre plots, you know, and uh dropped the not so subtle hint that he just wished he had more space to grow some vines and my my dad totally fell for it. And so we had uh it was like a hundred vines, a row of this and a row of that and a row of everything. Uh after several years of doing that, uh, we had enough knowledge to get into a whole lot of trouble where we thought we knew what we were doing. And uh, about that time, I was graduating from college. Uh, I have a degree in history.
1: It wasn't quite fit of culture. It was no, no. <laughs> I,
0: I, I did not follow the the track of going to Davis or to Virginia Tech and learning okay. about anything like that. Uh, and so, I used to live in Europe. I lived in Germany for a year. Okay. And um, I, I wanted to move back to Europe and put my degree in history to use, be a tour guide, work at a museum or something. And my parents were very supportive of that. But they said, till you line something up, do you want to do you want to help us plant some grapevines? They decided we have 100 of them. Let's do 10,000 of them. So, so I you st-
1: started very small, almost just as for your own personal use, right? And yes. Then I kinda, OK. Yeah.
0: So um, so, you know, after doing that for a year or two, uh, I, I fell in love with the idea that this bottle of Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc is just dirt. In a bottle, and it's the wildest thing to me, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's about the time we started. Uh, we we built the uh, we started planting in 2008. We built the winery in 2010. Prior to that, our bonded winery space was my parents' garage.
1: Okay, and uh, <laughs> very and, rustic.
0: Yeah, very very. Very
1: gar- garageist style. The,
0: there you go. And so we uh, we decided somebody needs to be minding these wines. So I started doing that. Okay. So I. I blame my parents for, for getting me into this, but they probably blame me for letting it get as big as it has now. So.
1: Well, you know, you did the history thing, and obviously there's a lot of history with, with uh, winemaking. I'm, the sa- I'm starting wine. to find that, so, yeah. And uh, curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always something new, which is kind of exciting. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk about your wine portfolio, sure. discuss your wine philosophy, and we'll also talk about, I believe we're going to be sampling your award-winning, it was in the Governor's Cup, mm-hmm. uh, Chardonnay. So stay with us. You're listening to Crystal Palette's Wine. Country on Seaville 107.5 and 1260, WCHV. It's spring in Virginia and things are starting to pop, especially corks. April is Virginia Vineyard Month and it's a great time to get out and find your favorites. Over 260 breathtaking vineyards are rolling out the welcome mat with special tastings, music, and local cuisine. There are world-class wines being made in every region of our state. Just go to virginiawine.org to plan your trip and start popping. Welcome back to the show. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Lee Hartman. He is the general manager and the head winemaker over at Bluestone Vineyards in Bridgewater. Actually, you're the first uh, Shenandoah Valley producer I've had on the show, so thanks for coming on by and taking the drive this morning.
0: Very honored to be the first. I
1: appreciate it. And uh, you guys are doing some really cool things. You've been around for almost 10 years now. You planted your first vines in 2008, uh, so you've seen uh, you've seen a lot over the past 10 years of growth in the industry and probably some trial and error in the vineyards. Um, talk a little bit about your general wine philosophy
0: um so you know it's kind of cliche uh but it's totally true you want to make sure that you're able to represent uh where your wine comes from you don't want it to just taste good but you want it to be uh you know kind of who you are so uh we do try to make sure that our our wines whether they're uh reds or whites you know have some of that nice clean acidity something to kind of hold it up um but yeah at, at the end of the day it, it does need to be balanced uh so sometimes if if you're uh trying to um, uh, m- make something during harvest season uh and and you you want to make sure that all your grapes come in at the the right time uh you need to make sure that they are balanced, whether that means maybe picking based on acidity uh before uh, you're looking for higher bricks or maybe uh you know those sort of decisions kind of help drive. Well, and
1: there's two kinds of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like two kinds of ripeness you're looking for, right? You're looking mm-hmm. for like the pH and you're looking for the phenolic ripeness of the grapes too.
0: There's There are a whole lot of factors to decide what is ripe. You know, you, you walk around, you taste these things, you chew on a grape for five minutes and you see, you know, just past that initial sweetness, what does that grape taste like? You look at the seeds, are they brown? You look at uh, the pH and the acid and the bricks, you... Uh, look at what weather is coming for the next week. Uh, so I'm all those amazed things. amazed at really...
1: so many things that go into your job. I think a lot of people they you know the wine lovers are like just pour me a glass. Oh yeah, they pick the grapes, they stomp them, we're good to go. But it's really, I mean, you're, every day, every day of the year, you're doing something, right?
0: Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that that really drew me. Besides that that whole uh, practicing alchemy of turning dirt into wine, I think that one of the things that uh, really drew me toward the profession was that balance of it's a lot of left brain a lot of right brain you have to know all the rules if you're going to be creative about it uh you, you have to you have to make the whole thing work and you can't just follow a formula uh it's it's got to be a lot of thinking on your feet and uh, sometimes you 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 work sixteen hour days, and that's and because part you're of it.
1: not always blessed. When you say the formula, you're not always blessed with the same ripeness each year or the same lot each year. So right. I mean, you've got to be very flexible in what you do. And uh, you know, I had uh, the owner and uh, the winemaker from Jefferson on last week, and they were talking about you know the importance of being able to blend. And mm-hmm. that's a, that's a great gift that we have here in this country because when you look at regions like Burgundy, you can't blend.
0: That's right, and and I think it's pretty telling. And uh, the Virginia Governor's Cup, when you have some of the top-rated wines in the state, often they're blends, and and that way you get to kind of uh, enhance your wine with other wines that you've been producing that year. You get to uh, say, this wine is kind of missing this aspect. We're going to fill in that blank space with something, uh, you know, uh, of of a similar grape or something that would, um, uh, you know.
1: It's like, a, it's like a, a canvas, if you will. You yeah. know, it's like you are the artist on a can, on a blank mm-hmm. canvas. Sure. You have the ability to do that, which is very cool. Um, speaking of the Governor's Cup, you had uh, won, received a great accolade, Bluestone. You were uh, featured in the 2016 Governor's Cup with Ooh. your 2014 Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you actually just poured us a glass. And uh, talk a little bit about uh, your style on this.
0: So um chardonnay is probably my favorite wine to actually make uh you know you get to work with a lot of small lots rather than one big tank uh so if i'm if i'm doing a barrel fermentation uh here uh it all starts uh, when, once you bring the grapes in we we harvest uh, everything at the top of our hill on the north on the northern side of, of our property, uh, we bring in the grapes we uh, split the juice uh, out in press fractions, so the the softest pressed stuff is put into one tank and then uh, the harder pressed stuff that might have uh, a little bit more bitterness to it it 'll be a little bit murkier juice goes into a second tank we uh, let those clarify put all that juice uh, into separate barrels, uh, about 20 percent of which are brand new French oak barrels. Uh, And then from there, I'll I'll have about a dozen small batches of uh, juice that I'll be turning into wine. And I'll use, uh, you know, one kind of yeast here and I'll use a different yeast there. Uh, Different forests from France uh, get used uh, every every year for uh, our our oak profile. Uh, And so with all these different experiments I've got going on, I can you know, at the end of harvest season, when we put things down, you get to say, uh, you know, I, I love this barrel. We've got to do four barrels like that next year or, uh, well, thank God we only did one barrel like that, uh, you know. And so then when you blend it all together, you have a much more interesting and complex blend.
1: I mean, it really is a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of experimenting. How important is record keeping with what you do?
0: Uh, it is the most important thing that you can do. If yeah. if you don't have good records, you know, you, you, you can get audited for those things. But also, just on on, a, on an internal level, right. you want to make sure that if, if you did something and it's amazing, you, you want to be able to remember why it was so great. That's just
1: it. If you're in the Governor's Cup or winning these international awards, what made that year so unique?
0: Right. Yeah, right.
1: absolutely. And speaking of Chardonnay, it's so interesting. You know, I do a lot of education events, and you inevitably have half the room hating Chardonnay and half the room loving Chardonnay mm-hmm. because it's perhaps one of the most manipulated grapes on the planet.
0: It is the winemaker's grape. They get to really put their signature on this. And so, uh, you know, you could you could take Chardonnay and make it this bright, racy, stainless steel, uh, you know, this thing that's bottled by November. Or you can uh, do something like this, which is all barrel fermented. Uh, after fermentation is over, we left all the lees or the, the dead yeast mm-hmm. sit on the bottom of the barrel and we'd stir it up about once a month. And uh, it didn't get pulled out of the barrel until uh, the following June or July. almost uh, a year in oak. So almost a year in oak, yeah. yeah.
1: And uh, you're doing about 20% neutral oak, you said, on this, right?
0: Uh, 20% new oak. Oh, yep. oh, new oak, excuse me, 20% right.
1: new oak. And uh, what really strikes me on this wine, you do have that big, luscious fruit, uh, but the acidity is so balanced, it's so harmonious. That the finish is a really nice, long, lingering finish, and the creamy mid palate really strikes out, stands out to me as a, a, tri- a tribute to not only the malolactic because it's not overly buttery, mm-hmm. um, but that little bit of lees on there it gives it that nice round mouthfeel. I think.
0: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an exercise in balance. You you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you 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 hit this, the bullseye every single time.
1: You uh, during break you were mentioning a pairing you had with this, and so talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I, I think one of the the funnest pairings we had with this it was a uh, it was a uh, chilled. Uh, fish dish that you know had very delicate flavors and and this one also has some very delicate flavors so um you know you can you can work with either complementing what 's on the plate or mm-hmm. or uh sometimes you want to contrast like if you have some sort of uh uh rich seafood dish you can have like a stainless steel white to help kind of cut that buttery uh whatever you've got but the really cool thing about that pairing with with this wine was that. Uh, neither the dish or the wine got in the way of one another. And that's Either. the
1: perfect pairing right there. Yeah. You know, it's that bite-sip. I always always I liken it when, you know, you're taking a bite-sip, bite-sip, you know you've kind of achieved that perfect pa- pairing.
0: Absolutely. And I always look
1: at wine as that Venice highlighter that just brings out all the nuances in in a great dish. And mm-hmm. uh, the Chardonnay is a, it's a really lovely example of Chardonnay. Thank uh, you. I don't think I've actually had one from the Shenandoah Valley, so you get that minerality in there, too, which is in, probably a tribute to your soil.
0: Well, you should try some more ch- Chardon- Shenandoah Chardonnay Valley I Chardonnays.
1: Should. Uh, speaking of uh, your portfolio, you actually you make quite a few Wines. And I understand you have four tasting menus at your winery.
0: So, as a winemaker, I, I say that we, we make too many wines. Okay, yeah. uh, it's a lot to keep track of. But we, uh, you know, I tell people who who have never been to our place before and don't know what we do, I tell them we make Moscato de Merlot. And l- literally, you know, if you see the front of the property, uh, there's a bunch of muscat vines. And, and we, uh, until somebody tells me I'm wrong, which I'll, I'll gladly except, but I think we're the only ones in the state that make a Moscato. Uh, And, uh, you know, but not everybody wants Moscato. But, uh, you know, not... not, It's
1: one of those great beginner wines, because a lot of people are kind of getting into it. It's Moscato, the Riesling. Most of us start with something a little bit of sweet, right?
0: Yeah. Um, But, you know, not everybody wants uh, to be trying really dry Bordeaux reds either. So what we did was we, uh, we divided up the list. So it's red, white, sweet, and reserve. So if... If you come in we we recommend people maybe try two different lists if you're If you're really into great wines, but you like reds and whites, our reserve list is mostly red, so we say maybe do the whites and the reserve, or maybe you just like whites and sweets or whatever works for you.
1: Yep. And um, so I'm looking at your list here. I have it in front of me. And you've uh, not only had your Chardonnay placed in the Governor's Cup case last year, you mm-hmm. also have received a numerous awards this year for 2017, bronze and silver awards. And you have many of them for your portfolio. i have noticing your red, your Cabernet Franc. Cabernet Franc is mm-hmm. a uh, – we're looking at a lot of success with a lot of Bordelais varietals in Virginia. Yeah. Probably most notably Petit Verdot and Cab Franc. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Cab Franc.
0: So uh we actually just planted uh cab franc for ourselves in uh I'm sorry uh in 2015 and uh we we right right away decided we wanted to do 3 acres of it our our total acreage at the time was 11 acres we doubled the size of it uh, 2 years ago to be 22 and uh it's a really important grape for us we we've been working with other growers for years we'll we'll continue to do that but um uh you know it it seems to do very well uh Around here, it's it doesn't need quite as much time uh, uh, throughout the year as Cabernet or Petit Verdot do. Even though Petit Verdot is also definitely one that I would say to be looking out for Mm -hmm. here in the Commonwealth. Um, But for Cabernet Franc, it it seems to have uh, a real character to it that that can be so different from from one farm to the next. Whereas some people, and, and I, I don't know that I agree with this, but some people think that Petit Verdot is kind of a one-dimensional thing, uh, whereas Cabernet Franc I don't think is in any regard.
1: And there's so many different styles of Cab Franc, too. If you've sure. had one and you haven't cared for it, I encourage you to keep trying it until you find one you like because mm-hmm. uh, a Cab Franc, when it's picked at the proper phenolic ripeness, you get these gorgeous raspberry and sage notes to it. Oh, yeah. But, of course, the are very underripe. You get that really harsh green bell pepper. So it's not necessarily the grape that you may not like. It might be the style.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and um, you can have uh, you know cab francs that are bottled very early. I've had some that are uh, just really big fruit, um, very round styles, and then you can also have those really spicy, peppery sort of things that are uh, a little uh, almost almost red pepper kind of. uh, uh, character to it so yeah it, it can go uh, all over the map
1: that's awesome well we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come back on the other side i want to talk a little bit about the future blue stone what mm-hmm. you have up your sleeve what you uh, want to experiment with next stay with us you're listening to crystal Palate's wine country it's spring in virginia and things are starting to pop especially corks april is virginia vineyard month and it's a great time to get out and find your favorites Over 260 breathtaking vineyards are rolling out the welcome mat with special tastings, music, and local cuisine. There are world-class wines being made in every region of our state. Just go to virginiawine.org to plan your trip and
0: start popping.
1: Welcome back to the show. Lee Hartman from Bluestone Vineyards out of Bridgewater is with us in studio today. We've been talking a lot about uh, the history of your vineyard, your family uh, taking that uh, crazy plunge into the wine industry and uh, your your development of um, just your love of wine in general and how you've grown to really appreciate uh, the industry when you never thought you would be in it uh, in the beginning. So very cool. A uh, very cool story. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what your future plans are. Uh, again, you started planting grapes in 2008. Your family did. Um, so almost 10 years of Bit of culture in Virginia, mm-hmm. and you have a very uh, you, you have an award winning wine list. You have four different tasting menus in your in your tasting room. But what what's next for you?
0: Uh, so so in two thousand fifteen we doubled the size of our vineyard, uh, going to twenty two acres. Uh, my, my wife and my son and I are actually moving to the vineyard uh, you know if, if I just I calculated the amount of commute I have a year and it's is a month's worth of work so by yeah. cutting that out uh, I'll be able to be there more I can be there uh, the with
1: vines my, are your babies they, they
0: they are my they are my other 22,000 babies yes. um, and so this way I can uh, go home real quick and have have dinner with my wife and my son and also go back down afterwards and go clean up the press
1: family is so important I think that's one thing i really love about wine in general is the ability to sit down have a glass break bread with friends and family
0: yeah you you put everything else on pause it's uh it's it's a a, something that we enjoy uh in our house but also with with friends and with family and i guess
1: that's your contribution to the meal right
0: that is my contribution to the meal and and it, it was a good thing when uh when my wife and i started dating almost 10 years ago she's a phenomenal cook and i uh i am not so. So it was a it was a good thing that I was able to bring something to dinner.
1: Well, wine is food, so definitely a part of the meal absolutely. there.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, I know Michael Shaps was uh, one of your consultants, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. You learned a lot from Michael, and I understand um, you're you're kind of jumping in the alternative packaging as well. We're seeing a lot of this uh, on an international level. We're seeing a lot of it in Europe, in particular. And I understand you're putting some of your wine in kegs.
0: We are. We uh, A couple of years ago, we, we for some reason, during harvest season, found ourselves with 1.3 tons of Tariga, which we'd never made before and haven't made since. But it turned out to be pretty good, but we didn't want to go through the whole process of getting a label done and making our, our tasting list uh, You know, have 23 wines on it. So we ended up kegging a lot of it, and you can come get a growler full of it. Um, uh, we, we, we started kegging other things. We have a Cab Franc that's going to be in the – uh, on tap uh later this month, we have uh, an off drive v n a that we're going to have uh this summer so from a
1: quality perspective, I think that's something a lot of uh consumers kind of have their eyebrows up a little bit but you're putting the same thing that you'd put in a bottle in the keg.
0: Absolutely. And and you know, I I have several friends uh, around Harrisonburg that are brewers and and run the breweries in town. And uh one of the things I was always envious of them, I go out to eat with my wife and you know, there's this seasonal keg of something or other that it's a a very limited time thing and and so now we're able to do that with wine. If I wanted to, I could make a 6-gallon blend of something and and just just for one one time off if I wanted.
1: And one would think from an on-premise standpoint that it makes a lot of sense for restaurants to carry wine on tap, especially because you're not going to have the waste of not going through wines. So you don't have oxidation. Oxidation yeah. issues. So there are many benefits. Obviously, we don't have time to deep dive into all of the, those methods on today's show. But I would encourage
0: uh, restaurants. <laughs> yes, there you go. encouraging you,
1: yes. Um, and uh, I want to let people know where you're located and how they can reach you.
0: Yeah. So we are just south of uh, Bridgewater. Um, our website is bluestonevineyard.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, I also have my own professional page, Lee Hartman, a winemaker, on uh, Facebook. So if you want to not just hear about all the stuff that's going on in the tasting room but also on the Crush Pad as well, you can follow me there.
1: Alright, give them some love. Lee Hartman and um, Bluestone Vineyards on Facebook and follow them on Facebook and check out their website as well. And uh, Lee, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was a pleasure to have you on.
0: Thanks for getting me off the farm. Oh, Appreciate absolutely.
1: It. Once in a while you got to leave the farm, Every right? now and then, yeah. <laughs> and for all of you interested in learning more about the Virginia wine industry from leading experts in the field, the 2017 Virginia Wine Summit is right around the corner. It will be held at the Boar's Head in Charlottesville on Tuesday, May 16th. For more information and tickets, please visit virginiawinesummit.com. I will be moderating a panel this year. I hope to see you there. That's going to do it for this edition of Crystal Palette's Wine Country. Head over to crystalpallet.com and click on the podcast tab to catch up on all of our shows. Have a great weekend. Cheers.